Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's 2023 and it is, mercifully, not an election year in Arizona. But that doesn't mean politics goes away. Arizona has a new governor, a new kind of U.S. senator, a more conservative legislature, and some familiar problems and issues to face in this new year. So how's all that going to play out? Good question. Here are some guesses about what awaits us. Welcome to The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Each week, we sit down with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you on top of the state's political news. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. Today, we want to look ahead at what 2023 might have in store. To do that, we want to break this into a couple of pieces. Here to talk about all of it is Stacey Barchinger, who covers the governor's office for the Arizona Republic, and Mary Jo Pitzel, who helps cover the legislature for the Republic. Ladies, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show. Hey, friends. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. So it seems the biggest thing to watch in 2023 is how Governor Katie Hobbs and the GOP legislature coexist, presuming that they will. For all the Democratic success in recent election cycles, this is the first legislative session with a Democratic governor in place since 2008, when Janet Napolitano was in her second term. Hobbs won by essentially offering herself as an antidote to the kind of agenda embodied by many of the folks in this legislature. So that sounds awkward, is it? Well, I think we're gonna see, but I I can guarantee there will be some awkward moments in the session ahead. You have a Democratic governor who has extremely different policy priorities than legislative leadership, and like you mentioned, the more conservative tilt of the legislature. Um, We have seen already some strife. Governor Hobbs has said since the campaign that she wants to call a special session on day one to address abortion access. At first, it was she wanted to repeal the 1864 near total ban, which I think you could see as an easier goal to accomplish, even with a very conservative legislature. However, In recent weeks, she's talked about that a little bit differently. We've heard her say she wants it to be more about abortion access generally. She's on the record as opposing the 15-week ban that the legislature just enacted last year. And Senator J.D. Mesnard, a Republican of Chandler, told our colleague Ray Stern that he felt like the legislature was being punched in the face by this approach. So we will see if Governor Hobbs sticks to that pledge when the legislature convenes on Monday um, as one of her first acts. There will be clashes, but at some point, I think lawmakers go down there to get stuff done, to get bills passed. If you want that to happen, I don't know how long it'll take, but the day will come when it dawns on them that we're going to have to work with this person up on the ninth floor. And going back to 2008, when Janet Napolitano was in the governor's office and we had a Republican-controlled legislature, 
they did find that sort of middle ground. Um, it also empowers the Democrats in the legislature in a way that they haven't seen since mm, 2008. That's partially why Raquel Turan uh, decided she's not going to seek another term as Democratic Party leader in the state, but stick to her role as the Senate Democratic leader, because she's going to have a lot more work to do. And same for um, Representative Andres Cano, who is her counterpart in the House. They will probably provide a reliable block of Democratic votes. And then you really only need one or two Republicans and take water, for example. You know, there was a lot of angst late in 2022 when the Water Infrastructure Finance Authority went ahead and agreed to get into discussions with a desalination proposal from a company. A couple of lawmakers from both sides of the aisle were not real happy with that, feeling like it broke assurances that they had been given a couple months ago. One of the things that strikes me is the personalities involved in this, that we have essentially a new cast of characters in leadership. Katie Hobbs, we know her as Secretary of State. This is our first look at her as Chief Executive for the state. We also have in Warren Peterson, someone who has been in the legislature, but is perhaps not as well known as other colleagues, such as Wendy Rogers or Karen Fan, his predecessor. We also have in Ben Toma, someone who, again, has been in the legislature, but is not as well known and developed in the public's mind, perhaps, as former House Speaker Rusty Bowers. Tell us a bit about each of these figures and just what the public should know about their operating guiding principles, their styles that suggest they are going to look for common ground, they are going to fight it out. Is there anything that we can and should know about their styles in all of this? Well, I'll start with Senate President-elect Warren Peterson. As you said, he's been in the legislature for quite a while. He is pretty steadfast on the far right end. If you go back to last year when the debate was going on about raising the expenditure limit for schools, he didn't like that. You know, he held out against that and at the end of the day voted against it, even though he acknowledged that teachers probably need more pay, which sort of gets tied up with why you need to loosen the spending limit. He won election very narrowly with the support of the farther right members of his caucus. So I think that gives us a sort of a sense of where he's going. And he wants to continue tax cuts, don't they all? Um, but he has his own proposal out there. On the House side, Toma is certainly a strong conservative. I mean, he's the guy that brought us universal vouchers and the, the massive tax cut, the switch to a flat tax. But he's more of a guy that will work with the members to get some kind of compromise. More to learn about both of these men as they move into the top leadership role. I think it's worth noting that Governor Hobbs has met with them. She's met with both Democratic and Republican leadership in the legislature behind closed doors. I mean, to be determined what goodwill that has built when it comes to actually crafting policy. But at least initially, she is, to her credit, keeping her pledges to work across the aisle. It's obviously January, but should we all be dreading a July deadline to get a budget done? Is this going to be dragged out into the last hours of June? Yes. Uh, yeah. Are we always every year? <laughs> no hesitation there. So Memorial Day is is out. Keep, keep working into June, right? Yeah, no vacation plans until July 4th. So one of the other things I'm curious about, Ron, as we are looking ahead to the state legislature, I know you are glued to Washington, D.C., and 
2022 ended with a big story of Kirsten Cinema leaving the Democratic Party, becoming an independent. And I'm curious if you can talk about what that means for her profile and what we're watching as Congress convenes again this year. Yeah, so we're in the early days of 2023, and we can't help but already be thinking of the end of 2024 when we'll be voting on another Senate race, right? Kirsten Cinema, by making the move that she has, has intensified interest in a race that already figured to be among the most compelling in the country. And it's really unclear how this is going to play out as far as her intentions, the potential challengers, especially on the right that she may face. On the left, there are some important decisions to be made strategically. And it is something that adds new interest to votes that she will be taking in the new Congress on even routine issues. Is there any change in her loyalties? Is there any sign that she is siding with Republicans more or doing something to raise her profile in some other fashion? Is she being relatively quiet as she often is and and just finding herself in the middle of whatever legislative compromises might emerge? All of that is going to be complicated by the new Republican majority in the House, which would figure to really limit any kind of legislative breakthroughs on any new front. It's really probably going to come down to just keeping the lights on in Washington will be the challenge, especially when we consider the the chaos that's unfolding as the House is trying to settle on who will be the speaker for the next two years, if anyone can hold that job for the next two years. Well, I'm curious um, to what extent cinema will keep working for you know, getting things done and working with bipartisan. I mean, every press release we get from her talks about, you know, bipartisan um, efforts. And is that different now because there's the Democrats have a clear majority in the Senate. So does she peel off more readily? Does she stick with that crowd? And as you said, with uh, the Republicans in control of the House, how does that affect the kind of legislation that even has a chance of getting anywhere? Yeah, I mean, as she made her announcement, it came at the end of a year that has been really notable for her legislative achievements. She found herself in the middle of what I would consider most of the most consequential legislation that passed in Washington in the past year. When you look at that, though, you have to realize that that was enabled in large measure by a Democratic-controlled House, where House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was able to marshal the votes to move through whatever the Senate could find agreement on. That dynamic is just off the table now. And so the space for something like a breakthrough on, for example, any kind of uh, new laws affecting gun rights or gun access seems impossibly small, if not non-existent. So what kind of legislative agenda can she work on? She's talked about things like changing the minimum wage, wanting to make that uh, indexed with inflation so that it's settled essentially once and for all. Doesn't seem like there's going to be much appetite on the right for that. Most notably, at the end of the last Congress, she was trying to find some kind of space on border and immigration. That perennial issue seemed to go by the wayside once again, despite her efforts on that. So new legislation, anything that's kind of big, seems like that's really off the table just because of what's happening in the House, which really begs the question, how do you stand out in a Congress where there's probably not going to be a lot getting done other than bickering between the parties? And how do you stand out when you face 
opponents for the Senate seat. I mean, I'm fascinated how this has triggered this little turf war between uh, Ruben Gallego and Greg Stanton for current U.S. House reps for the Democratic nomination for Senate. I mean, they're going to need to put up a Democrat (laughs) for 2024, and it looks like those two are the ones that are going to duke it out. Yeah. I mean, it's clear that both of them have sort of staked at least the preliminary claim to this Democratic nomination. But that is a dynamic that is also something that Democrats would like to avoid in part because the primary will unfold as late as August once again before both sides can sort of turn more fully and and fight each other in the short turnaround between the primary and the general election. For Republicans, the really interesting dynamic becomes who do you try and nominate? The idea that they could try and go with someone who is more in that MAGA style camp that we've seen in Blake Masters most recently is someone who probably could alienate a lot of the voters in the middle that Kirsten Cinema likes to reach for. And despite her relatively dreadful polling against Democrats and such, it's something that as these figures get better developed, it's a new dynamic when you're talking about actual competition and real choices that voters will have to make. Another dynamic that we'll watch early on in 2023 is the fundraising for Kirsten Cinema and for the others. This race, the one thing that is the safest bet, I think, of 2023 is that the 2024 Senate race will be very expensive uh-huh. once again, which means can Kirsten Cinema, who has been among the more prolific fundraisers traditionally, can she maintain that with this kind of new dynamic, this new labeling that she is operating under? And can Ruben Gallego, who has been a good enough fundraiser in a relatively Democratic-friendly district throughout his congressional career, can he really ramp up and suggest that he has that kind of statewide appeal and statewide donor fund base? And then there's Greg Stanton, the former mayor of Phoenix, who has also had questions about his statewide stature, but is a well-developed figure, certainly in the metro Phoenix area. And he will want to expand that presence and want to tap in more broadly to that national fundraising donor base. One other thing that as we look at 2023 is going to be in the House, we have a somewhat new cast of characters. We have Juan Siscomani representing the Tucson area, a Republican. We also have Eli Crane, a Republican representing northeastern Arizona. They are the new members of our congressional delegation. One thing we want to see is just how far they want to walk down the road toward either the Kevin McCarthy camp or the Andy Biggs camp, where we see a clear split in desires for a Republican agenda. But there's also going to be the challenge, at least in the Siskamani case, of someone trying to make sure that he doesn't alienate a district that will probably remain competitive in 2024. Any thoughts on how he might fit in historically with what we've seen in that district, Mary Jo, where we've had a a history of people like Ron Barber and Gabby Giffords from the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, where we've had Martha McSally and Jim Colby, this is not a district that seems to reward extremism. No, as you pointed out, it's gone back and forth between the two parties. And I would expect a pretty robust challenge to Siskamani in 2024. He won by a narrow margin against Kirsten Engel, who 
I think as you pointed out in the story, Ron, she didn't get the support from national Democrats that could have made all the difference. Um, I don't think they're going to repeat that again, although I have no idea who, which Democrat might step up to try to take on a, a new incumbent in Siskamani. Well, what do you think, Ron? I mean, we have these new members of Congress who are headed to D.C., a leadership vote happening as we record. What do you expect to see uh, as they set the tone in their first weeks in Congress? Well, what's interesting and familiar to us here in Arizona is seeing the contrarian nature of Republican Andy Biggs. He has made clear he will not tolerate a Kevin McCarthy speakership and may succeed in making sure that doesn't happen. This is not something that is new to those of us who have been watching him here in Arizona. In the legislature, for example, he stood against seemingly the entire chamber on issues like kids' care and expanding Medicaid. When you look at his willingness to be essentially standing on an island and not change his vote, it certainly suggests that what we're seeing in Washington just in the battle over the speakership is sort of telegraphing what we can expect to see for the next two years as Republicans really try and figure out what they can actually achieve in the majority in the House. They won't be able to pass much because of the Democratic-controlled Senate, but they can do things like run investigations and sort of telegraph what they would like to do with a Republican majority more fully and especially with a Republican president, which is at least possible as we move into the presidential cycle more fully. We'll also want to keep an eye on Eli Crane, whose early indications are that he wants to throw in with that sort of far-right camp that is embodied by Andy Biggs, Republican Paul Gosar, and others. Arizona seems to have uh, a relatively outsized presence in the anti-McCarthy movement just among those three members right there. With Siskamani, yeah, he's got to try and walk more of a tightrope because that district is something that was surprisingly competitive in a Republican year in 2022 with greater turnout in 2024. He's someone who's got to get points on the board with his constituents in a district that doesn't seem to reward extremism. So let's step back from the personalities and talk about some of the issues that we expect to get more attention in 2023. I want to start with one of the more urgent ones. That relates to public education. There's a notable funding problem with all of this. Stacy, describe in short what that problem is and what the options are. So I'm going to recruit Mary Jo's help because she is the school funding expert, but I'll lay the groundwork here. So in state law, there's a cap on school spending for public education, K-12 through education, every year. Last year, the legislature poured another billion dollars, which is a huge investment, into public school funding. But because of that cap, there is this tug of war, it seems like, almost every session now, about changing the cap to allow the schools to spend the money. If they don't change the cap, we hear schools talk about cuts to services, to teachers and other staff. Last year, this certainly was a high-profile issue, and there was a deal brokered where Governor Ducey said if the legislature had the votes, he would call a special session after the November election to address the cap. That did not happen, which tees up an immediate issue for Governor Hobbs to address It's especially relevant that all along the campaign trail, she's talking about funding public education. She wants to get this done right out of the gate. 
Mary Jo, what does this mean in a real sense for public education? It means a lot of uncertainty as schools are going into the second semester, the second half of the school year. As we saw last year, especially rural districts are saying, look, if we don't get this cap raised and we won't know our funding future until March 1, that's the deadline that has to be hit, we may end the school year early. You know, we may just have to shut down because we're not going to have enough room in our budget to keep operating. You could argue that maybe they should be holding back spending now, but they have had somewhat modest spending plans, but they were given, as Stacy said, this billion dollars of new money, which they used a lot to help increase teacher pay. If you can't deliver on that, that's going to be a problem. So I suspect that we will see probably not quick action, maybe a quick call from the governor, but probably just like we saw in 2022, they'll play this thing out until the drop dead deadline of you know February 28th. There is a sense of inevitability that this is going to have to be raised. It really would harm a lot of people, constituents, especially for some of the conservative lawmakers from rural districts. I mean, you do not have an option to send your kid to a charter school. By the way, charters, although public schools are not covered by this constitutional spending limit because they didn't exist when the limit was created, which is part of the argument for why we should get rid of it because it's so old. And there aren't private schools, you know, all dotted around, especially rural parts of Arizona. This does, as you indicated, feel a bit like must-pass legislation, that they must find a way forward. Um, This feels like an early test of the new governor and the new legislative leadership. How long will it take to get to a result that everybody sort of seems to agree they need to get to? Well, you know, in this case, you just need a vote of the legislature. The governor's signature is not required. You don't have to do that. So it's really a test for the legislative leaders. But I would expect that Governor Hobbs, given her position on this, will have a few things to say about this. And it's an interesting contrast to Ducey's last year in office. He took heat for not getting involved. He would not put any pressure on Republican peers in the legislature to get this uh, expenditure limit overruled for the year. So I think it will be a test and a signal of how Governor Hobbs wants to play with the legislature, how hard she goes trying to get support. If education feels like must-pass legislation, Anything affecting abortion rights feels like more of an uncertainty and a political third rail. There has been talk, Stacy, of special session involving mending the state's abortion laws, which are anything but crystal clear, it seems. How likely is anything to happen in that space? I mean, I think we're going to see Governor Hobbs try to make something happen. The question is, as we're learning about how the new leadership will whip its members, if they can find support to join with the Democrats to make any change. Like Mary Jo had said, you might only need one or two votes, which is much more reasonable in terms of accomplishing change. But what we don't know is how palatable a major change like getting rid of the 15-week ban that was passed last year, we don't know how palatable that is to the legislature. Mary Jo, is there anyone in the legislature who seems like an especially good bet to watch as being that reachable Republican vote for Democrats to be able to sneak one through? Searching, searching, (laughs) searching. Uh, Frankly, no name comes to mind. I will say there are a lot of new members joining the legislature. There's a lot yet to be learned about them. 
Another issue I would be curious to see what they'll do is last year, the legislature passed a bill that allows Maricopa County to go out and ask its voters, do you want to extend this sales tax that we've been using for transportation? It passed, you know, with bipartisan support. Yay, yay, bipartisanship. The governor vetoed it. So the need is still there, at least perceived by Maricopa County. The votes were there last year. Will they be there this year? What kind of coalition will form around that? That's something I'll be watching quite closely. Is there any indication from Governor Hobbs's camp as to how she views that issue? Is that something that could be part of the bargaining chips that are used to make a deal to make sure that education, for example, doesn't go kablooey? I think absolutely we'll see that happen. During the campaign, she appealed to some of her most prominent Republican supporters by talking about what we know as Prop 400, that transportation tax. I had a conversation several months ago with Mesa Mayor John Giles, a Republican who led Governor Hobbs, Republicans for Hobbs Coalition, spoke on her behalf at the rally with Barack Obama. And this is something that he talked about really won his support. He's a municipal leader whose city relies on that money. And so that was very crucial to him in his decision of who to support. I want to shift gears to one other issue that seems ripe for consideration and possibly could be an area of overlapping interests. This is a possible solution, or at least it's pitched as one, to the very high inflation that has plagued Arizona for most of the last year and a half or so, especially in the Phoenix area. Governor Hobbs has talked about making some tax changes. Stacy, what are those and what will that mean for consumers? Yeah, so there's several proposals that she has made. Some of them are things like removing the sales tax on essential items like over-the-counter medications, things that everybody needs to buy. One of the most interesting things that I'm watching is she has proposed a child tax credit, basically replicating the federal credit here in Arizona. It would help hundreds of thousands of low and moderate income families I don't know exactly how much we can extrapolate a vote last year in the legislature on a somewhat similar program to this upcoming session, but Governor Ducey in 2022, actually for the first time in his eight years in office, proposed an earned income tax credit. They're not exactly the same, but generally they are programs that help lower income Arizonans meet their tax bills and their tax obligations every year. And that passed the Senate. It did not get through the House probably a signal of where Governor Hobbs is going to really need to put some negotiating power if she wants to get her child tax credit through. I also think a stumbling block for child tax credit is it just, it reminds everybody of that provision that was in the Build Back Better plan of Biden's. And, you know, I don't think there's a big appetite to enact anything that might be considered Biden-esque in um, Arizona, at least among our Republican lawmakers. Okay. Anything else you ladies want to mention as something to watch, near term or long term? Well, on Monday, we've got the opening of the legislative session. Governor Hobbs will be delivering her State of the State address, which should be very interesting. I'm going to be curious to see how many people actually stand up and applaud for her among the legislative ranks, because we've heard a lot of disgruntlement. But for those people who aren't so politically inclined, if you want a reason to tune in, Cardinals quarterback Colt McCoy is going to be the guest speaker. Very good. Well, that will be an interesting change in the usual state of the states. We will leave the fun right there. Thank you all for coming today. And as usual, 
Where can our listeners find you on Twitter? They can follow me on Twitter at S Barchinger. It's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R. And I'm at Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Thank you for tuning in last year, and thanks for sticking with us as we begin another one. We always love to hear from you, so if you have any questions about Arizona politics, or if you want to share your own thoughts, leave us a message at 602-444-0804, or email us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. And don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. You can follow her at Kaylee Monahan. That's K-A-E-L-Y-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Happy New Year. <laughs>